and I felt like, well, it was way out of my range. How in the world could we even comprehend Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, and what all that means? And then Mark tells us he's the gift, and he's the giver, and he's the good shepherd, and he's the door, and uh, Glenn prayed that he's our example, and, and we could just keep going. Jesus is, is what our life is about. He is our life, it says in Colossians 3. So anyway, turn with me to, uh, well, let's start with John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2. Then we'll go to 2 Peter 3, just a few pages forward from there. Title this morning, trying to decide what's the best title. Confident at his coming is part of it. First John 2.28 Somewhere, yeah, there it is. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. That we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So I want to look at Second uh, Peter, chapter 3, where it talks about the day of God. This sermon had its beginning in a, a telephone call from a Pennsylvania church a number of years ago. They wanted me to preach three sermons. The theme was confident at his coming. And they gave me three phrases out of Second Peter 3. And if you know anything about Second Peter 3, it's about the day of God and judgment and the coming of the Lord and and I knew these churches pretty well, or the church. I knew uh, they just love prophecy. Well, I don't preach those kind of sermons. Not the kind they would have preached. Sorry, I just don't do it that way. And I told them right up front, you won't get what you're used to from this chapter from me, I'm sure. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, I went and had the meetings. They haven't invited me back yet, so I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that's not unusual. <laughs> I uh, don't preach speculative prophecy. You probably know that by now. I don't know if you don't. Now you do. Uh, so I was looking for something good and worthwhile from this chapter for us. Let's read it. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there, there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this, they, for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. 
But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Well, how to be confident at his coming. How to be confident in the day of the Lord. Well, just going to go down through here and notice a couple words. Uh, five verbs, actually, things that we need to do to be confident. And we'll start with verses 1 and 2. To be confident at his coming, we must remember some things. We need to remember some things. And Peter says, I've written you two letters, and both of them I Stirred you up to make you remember. <clears throat> Back in chapter 1, in verse 12, he says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. And then he goes on to say, And I know the Lord's going to take me, but I'm going to do what I can, that you have something to remember these things by. So Peter wrote the first letter, and then he wrote this one, both to stir up their pure minds to remember. I want you to remember something. Verse 2, I want you to remember the words spoken by the holy prophets, the Old Testament writers, I think probably we could say here. I want you to remember the Old Testament. I want you to remember, by the way, he goes on, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. The New Testament, I want you to remember the word of God. And again, chapter 1, verse 16. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. 
we have also a more sure word of prophecy, wherein you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So there again, you've got the New Testament and the Old Testament, and Peter says, we didn't follow cunningly by his fables. These aren't old wives' tales. This is the truth. We were there. We saw. We heard God's voice. And then he also says, in that Old Testament, those prophets wrote as God moved them. God moved them. The Holy Spirit moved them along to write. Is kind of the idea there. Remember, we have the word. What is truth? You know, Pilate asked it. You open the newspaper today and you wonder, what is truth? You hear some of the things being bandied about by people. People don't know what truth is. It's a little bit hard to tell sometimes what the truth actually is when it comes to, well, the pandemic, the politics. They both rather clearly illustrate people's lack of truthfulness. People make up their own truth. Put that in quotation marks, truth. And, and that is the postmodern way where your truth is okay for you, my truth is okay for me, but this kind of going to seed when you look at some of the things that are going on in the world. People say what they want to be truth, and because they said so, they think it ought to be true, I guess. I don't know. That's all going on out there. And sometimes we hardly know what to think anymore. We, are, we tend to be trusting people to believe what somebody tells us. I guess it's time we need to be a little more careful. And the old tried and true methods of, of testing what we hear still work. We need to do that. We can't just believe everything we hear. And we can't just believe what we'd rather believe. We do have to test things. And when it comes to the Word of God, it's truth. We can take it as it stands and we can live by it. And if somebody is saying something that doesn't agree with that, they're wrong. Now, there are, by the way, a few spots where it's a little harder to understand. Over in verse 16, Peter says, Paul... Uh, some of what he wrote gets to be a little difficult to figure out what he's exactly saying. But we remember, remember, obey what you do understand. And those parts will come in due time. And no, we're not going to ever understand it all on this side. That'll have to come later. Don't take those hard to understand parts and twist them to make them suit what you want them to say. There are people that do that. He talks about them. They rest those parts of Paul's epistles just as they do the other scriptures. So Peter was saying already Paul's writing were scripture. So remember, remember we've got the truth. We have the word of God. The day of God will come. And we cannot hope to face it with confidence unless we remember the truth. Reading God's word, making it our own by obeying it. 
imbibing it, uh, could say, making it part of us, making our lives part of it, however. Secondly, then, if we're going to be confident at his coming, there are some things we need to know. Verse 3. Let me get back to my right chapter here. Next page is 1 John 2, and it also has no in verse 3, by the way, but it didn't look quite right. <laughs> okay. Knowing this first. There's some things we need to know, and you'll find some more no's in here. Here in the first part of the chapter, he says, know this. There are going to be scoffers. There are going to be those people that are going to say, well, it's been 2,000 years and nothing's happened. He's not going to come. He'll just... By coming, by coming, that means he's going to come when you die or something like that. They, it's just, people say all kinds of things. And did you think about it last week, that Jesus might show up one day? I did. It was a different thought. I mean, it was, sometimes it's a little hard to grasp, but everything that we see, the reality in front of us, isn't all that real. One of these days, it's just going to whoosh. Well, go to verse 10. <laughs> That's what's going to happen to it. It's going to be all burnt up, wiped clean. And there'll be a greater reality. And we live for that. We live for that. We should live for that. Know that that's the way it's going to be. Verse 4 here. By the way, uh, the the scientists, the quote in scientists, those who think they're wise in this world talk about millions of years and billions of years and, and all of that and evolution. That's one of the biggest things we find, by the way, in all the books we go through for the library. The, again and again and again, the 260 million years ago, this and that. It was like somebody wrote it down back then or what. But anyway, uh, <laughs> They, but the next book says 30 million years, so go figure. All right, anyway, but that's, that's what their idea is, that things happen so slowly now so that uh, anything that actually happened had to take billions and billions of years. So Eva read to me, I guess just last evening, about these uh, crustaceans and how that uh, two of their legs over time evolved into special tubes used for procreation. Right. Yeah. How'd they do that? Uh, and what'd they do before then, I wondered. So anyway, uh, things don't make sense. They just don't. But anyway, you give things enough billions of years and it's supposed to have happened. But anyway, it's called uniformitarianism. And that's kind of what you see there in verse 4. All things continue as they were. Did they? No, they are willingly unknowing of something. They're willingly ignorant that things have not continued as they were. They are choosing not to know, verse 5 says. That's what ignorant means. <laughs> willingly ignorant, choosing not to know. There was a flood. And that changes everything. From all that uniformitarianism and the evidence in the, in the earth's crust is one thing it changes. It also changes the fact that they're saying God hasn't done anything since the beginning. 
God did judge. He judged sin in a major way. Worldwide sin in a worldwide way. God is a judge. And you could, like I've been reading through the prophets, and he judged again and again. He spoke things into existence, verse 5 says, by the word of God, the heavens were of old. By his word, whereby, verse 6, he judged with the flood. Verse 7, by the same word, he's keeping in store. By the same word, he's keeping in store. It's reserved unto fire against the day of judgment. Judgment will happen again, not by water, but by fire. So they're willingly not knowing that. We need to know it. We also need to know that God doesn't view time like we do. Verse 8, beloved, make sure you know, don't be ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. He does not dwell in time. The eternal I am always is. And one day to him is no different than a thousand years to someone who always is. To us, 2,000 years seems like a long time. God hasn't forgotten. Things are right where he expects them to be, right where he plans them. No. He doesn't view time in the same way we do. His plan is still in place. We should know that God has a reason for not hurrying. Verse 9, He is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish. His reason for not hurrying is an integral part of his plan for man, salvation for mankind. He wants men saved. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Rather, he loves men. He wants them saved and living for him and bringing him glory and walking with him. But we also need to know that the day of the Lord will come. Verse 10 just says it that way. And I tend to emphasize the will come because because of what it says before. People are saying it won't come. Peter says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It will. The wicked will be punished. Opportunity will end. The earth as we know it will cease to exist. It says here to be burned up. The Greek idea that it will be exposed. It will be uh, found. So I'm not sure if God is going to... Uh, burn the earth completely up and set us a new one or just wipe this one clean and do a renovation job like Levi's do on their houses. But, you know, after they're done, it doesn't look like the same old house, does it? It's, it's a new house. Well, we'll have a new heaven and a new earth anyway, <clears throat> however that works. And there, verse 13 says, therein will dwell only righteousness doesn't say only right there but that's the that's the point the day of God will come and if we're to meet it confidently we need to know these things that Peter tells us in this chapter and again looking around us our postmodern society we call it sometimes needs a witness from people who know the truth In our day, nobody knows anything. We know some things, and 
we ought to be telling them. <laughs> Some will believe, a lot won't. Well, you keep going through the chapter, verses, well, let's see, I have 11 to 16 here. There are some things we need to account. We need to account. It's the same word as uh, Paul said, I count all things but loss. I consider. It's the same word as verse, or count in verse 9 here. Not slow as some men consider slackness. We need to account, verse 15 tells us, that God's slowness, <laughs> the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. No, he doesn't call it slowness. He says it's long-suffering. What does that mean? Well, it means what it says back in verse 9. He is long-suffering to us, where he's long-suffering to people. Not willing that any should perish. He wants more people to be saved. We must account. We already said we need to know it, but we need to account that judgment is coming, that there is glory. We look according to his promise for a new heavens and a new earth. We see the invisible. We don't see that yet. We know it's coming, but we see it, and we look forward to it, and we live because of it. We see also that there's eternal loss for those who are not ready. Only righteousness dwells in that new heaven and new earth. And when we account that, what difference does it make in the way we live? So verse 11, Peter, I guess it's a question. It's got a question mark when you finally get to the end of it. Seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in our holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto, hurrying toward. How do you hurry toward the day of God? Maybe, maybe partly by doing what it is we're supposed to be doing. But all right, we'll get there maybe. <clears throat> what difference should that make in our lives? Well, we talked about, Peter talked about all holy conversation, and there he's talking about lifestyle, all holy life, God-likeness, watching for the coming, being ready for it, Make sure we are in his will and accounting the same thing that the Lord does, that his long-suffering is for the gospel to reach more people. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, was the way Paul said it in Second Corinthians 5. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing that this is what's coming, we're involved in telling people the gospel. We're involved in inviting them out of sin into eternal life. 
So we must account that God's reason for not sending Christ yet is because he wants more people saved. And if we account that, if we consider that, it ought to change the way we live in relating to people. It ought to send us on our mission more faithfully. We need to account that our job is to carry out the work of Jesus in bringing men to him. He gave us the Holy Spirit for that specific reason. And you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and also uh, some, yeah, the whole world, it goes on to say. Can't quote it all right now. We need to account that we are his servants here to do his will. We need to do that to be ready. And I was thinking about a parable back in Luke chapter 12. Let's go read it. Jesus talks about being ready. Don't lose your place. We want to come back to Peter in a little bit. What does it take to be ready? Luke 12:35. Let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. Let your lights shine, by the way. And you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. He shall come in the, if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. <coughs> so how do you be ready? Should we be always looking upward, go out on the hillside somewhere and say, the Lord's coming soon, and so we're watching for him. That has happened in history, by the way. Uh, well, let's keep reading. And Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, and give them their portion of meat in due season? To give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom... His Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. That's the way to be ready. Just be doing what your master asks you to be doing. Period. Or you could keep going. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men, servants, and maidens, to eat and drink and be drunken, to live for himself, we'd say. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. To be ready, <laughs> account that he's coming, <laughs> and keep your accounts up to date. <laughs> keep, keep his accounts up to date as a wise steward, I guess we could say. Do what he told us to do. Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And a little later he said, As the Father hath sent me, so send I you. Account 
that the long-suffering of God is salvation, and let's account ourselves workers in that cause. That's the way to haste the day of God, to hasten unto it, to, to look forward to it. Thy kingdom come, in a more real way than ever before, we're asking. And so if we're busy about the Father's business of bringing people to salvation and keeping them that way, it's not all going out and getting people saved. It's partly the, the whole work of, I mean, we kind of divide it into evangelism on one hand and nurture on the other. Well, it's all the same purpose that we all get to glory. Well, no, that we all live to the glory of God here and now and get the glory in the end. They're together. It's all part of the same job. We need to account that we need to be busy in that. Well, if we're to have confidence at his coming, we must beware of some things, too. We must beware of falling. Verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. We must be aware of our own weakness, the possibility of falling. Peter says, I've warned you. You need to remember the word and be in it. You must know that there are going to be scoffers coming with sophisticated ideas why the gospel can't be true or why this or that can't be so. They'll deny that there's a judgment, but you know that the day is coming. You know that God's plan is for you to be fully given to his work. Beware, lest the scoffers, back in verse 3, or the truth twisters, there in verse 16, or the false teachers, if you go back to chapter 2, full of them there in chapter 2, take you away from your own steadfastness. Now, the idea I get here is not of a, a quick fall where you know, somebody is just serving the Lord as hard as they can along and all of a sudden they trip and leave the Lord. No, I think it's a slow crawling deception not a sudden change of direction but but a subtle thing that comes in and we begin to change our attitudes our views may not even be necessarily views of scripture or, or doctrinal things I think Probably more often, someone falling away begins more in simply a, a careless attitude in their relationship to God and a relationship re, relationship with each other is where they allow wrong attitudes toward people and let Satan get a toehold. That's all you need to do. And he'll take it and go with it. Give him an inch, he'll take a mile if you don't repent and get back to where you belong. And the New Testament warns us again and again to be careful, take heed, be diligent, be vigilant, walk circumspectly, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall, beware. And so we need to keep a constant watch on our attitudes, on our responses, we need to keep our focus on the Lord Jesus, 
the way, the truth, the life, our life. And living, we need to live as he did by his power. If that's our focus, we won't be taking verse 16 and we won't be taking some of those hard to understand doctrines and twisting them to make them suit ourselves. Thought about that right there in relation to that. And these days, I've been impressed again with how many times the Apostle Paul told his pastors, be careful about vain babblings and old wives tales and things like that. So I'm just going to go back and run through them quickly. First Timothy and Second Timothy and Titus. There's at least two per book. Uh, just with everything that goes on out there, the things you hear said, and I had, maybe you don't hear what I do sometimes, but probably you don't. But that's okay. First Timothy one four. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. I hear Christians today even that seem to be fearful about government, politics, what might happen. And some of them are some of them are looking into prophecy and saying, well, here comes this big one-world government. Well, okay, let it come. What do we have to fear? Why be afraid? <laughs> if, it's, if it is going to come, it's going to come. Our job is to be faithful. So don't let fear get us all wrapped up in knots. That's Anyway, that's kind of free. It isn't necessarily tied into this verse but just uh, I don't understand yeah we might face some very very difficult things we might end up dying for our faith they could hang us up by our toenails or pull them out or put us the thumb screws on us or cut our heads off or whatever but we can die for the Lord can't we why fear those kind of things have happened and may happen again but know this, I have overcome the world, Jesus said. Don't let fear rule your thinking. All right, jump down. Well, okay, just keep reading. Uh, now the end of the commandment, verse 5, is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. Thing -a -ling -a -ling -a -ling. Some people, the things they say make about that much sense. Chapter 4, verse 7. And you almost need to read the contrasting verses. Verse 6 says, Put the brethren in remembrance of these things, and thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyselves rather unto godliness. And some of the things people are getting off the internet or wherever they're getting it belong in that verse. I'm not sorry, it's just the way it is. 
chapter 6, verse 20, next to the last verse in the book, I think. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of knowledge, falsely so-called. Well, science, it says, the idea is knowledge, false knowledge. Gnosticism is back where people know things <laughs> that aren't true. Sometimes you don't know how they know them. But anyway, 2 Timothy 2, verse 16. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And of course, the opposite is in verse 15 right ahead of it. Give diligence to show yourself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth the truth the book here it is take your signals from it not from out there not from the vain babbling that's going on in the world verse 23 but foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes and Titus One fourteen. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Now there he specifically calls them Jewish fables, uh, dealing with some of the old Jewish things. And then commandments of men where people come up with ideas that say, here's why you don't have to obey the Bible. And don't start thinking you know what I'm talking about because you don't necessarily. I mean, I'm just saying in a general way, people come up with these reasons why you don't need to obey scriptures. Well, you know some of them. The spirit is my covering. I don't need to wear a covering anymore. Have you heard that one? I have. And on it goes. Titus. Uh, chapter 3, verse 9. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. And again, I just give you those to remind you that it seems like a lot of stuff going around today that isn't very profitable to swallow, isn't very profitable to argue about either. So, if we're going to face the day of God with confidence, we must beware of what we allow into our minds and into our hearts. We need to be aware of the dangers. We need to be aware of our, our own hearts, inclinations, the old man, the flesh. And then kind of flip that coin if we're going to be confident at his coming, we must grow. The last verse in the book, in the chapter. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Grow in grace. This is the secret to Christian victory. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. So strive to know him better. Can we do it by striving? Well, no. Can we do it without striving? No. We need his help and grace, but he's not going to do it for us.
Grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Grow in knowing him. That's eternal life. See, imagine the day of the Lord coming as a thief in the night and all this stuff dissolving into fire like a, an atomic bomb or whatever. I don't know exactly how that's going to work. We go to meet a friend, our Lord. We go to meet one we know well. We know him because we've spent our days walking with him. Humbly, it's not like we're equals by any sense of the word. <laughs> but we're going home. Why shouldn't we have confidence? And this is not the first time Peter's talked about growing. And Let's just go back to chapter 1 and read those few verses at the beginning. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. And I like to start here in verse 2 of 2 Peter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God, through knowing God and our Lord Jesus. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. His divine power is given to us. What's he given to us? Everything we need to live a life of godliness, how? Through knowing him. Whereby are given, through whereby, okay, there's another whereby. Whereby is through that knowledge of him are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these, by these promises, you might be partakers of the divine nature, God himself living in us, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so the bad stuff goes out when he comes in. And besides this, giving all diligence, giving it everything you've got, add to your faith virtue. Just good living. To your virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, temperance, self-control. To temperance, patience. To patience, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. To brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you, if you are striving to grow in these and they are coming into you through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus... For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things, he that doesn't care, is slack, is blind. And he's short-sighted, he cannot see afar off. He has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to be confident at his coming. We want to be confident in the day of God when the elements shall melt with a fervent heat and the earth as we know it and everything in it is going to be burned up. So remember the word. Remember. God has spoken. Here we have what we need to make our decisions for life, to guide us through life, to guide us in relationships. It's here in the word of God, through the Holy Spirit, sometimes through the brotherhood helping us too, by the way. Remember it. Know the Lord Jesus. Know that there will be scoffers. Know that the Lord will come. Know that judgment is coming.
account that the Lord wants all men to be saved, an account that he wants us to help make it happen. That's why we're here. Beware of your own flesh. Beware of the tempter's appeals to it. Don't ever forget that it's possible to fall and grow in your knowledge and relationship with the Lord Jesus. Do these things, and we can be confident at his coming. Let's have a song.